Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 130. Another long week ahead for us all, but damn it, we're going to get through it. Stay home, stay healthy. Please reach out to people and check in on them. If you had plans to play golf this past weekend, and I'm sure you did, well, call everyone in your foursome. Don't text. Call everyone in your foursome and make sure that they're doing okay. Even if you're calling them up to talk some shit, you know, something like, hey, Peter, good news. You didn't lose the two sleeves of Pro V ones like you normally do. Or, hey, Liam, if you really want to get some normalcy back into your life, start by Venmoing me 50 bucks because that's what you normally lose to me every weekend, you choke artist. You know, calls like that. Those two guys are actually very close friends of mine that listen to this podcast, so I I wonder how long it's going to take before I get a call. Moving on, I launched a video series on Facebook and Instagram called Tales from the Back of the Range. I thought it might be fun now more than ever just to check in with some of the previous guests that I've had on the podcast. This is episode 130, so I've spoken to a lot of people. So I'm asking them to share some stories on video. And yes, I kicked off the series myself with my gorgeous face for radio. I shared the story of my fortuitous evening in a pub in St. Andrews that one year later led to a Saturday morning tea time on the old course. So go check that out. The guests that are sharing their stories are nominating other guests. So this could potentially turn into something pretty cool. If you're looking to find us on social media, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram. The links are in the show notes of the episode. But the Instagram handle, the Back of the Range podcast, that's where everything's really going down. Before we get to this week's episode, I am getting really low on merch. The trucker hats are almost gone. I have a handful of towels. Um, Before I really start getting more merch, I really want to get some feedback. Um, Visors, I I think Clint Brown in Iowa kind of took a patch that uh, I had for a trucker hat and made his own visor. I'll I'll get a picture of that. It's pretty cool. Tell me what you guys want. Uh, I'm all about getting some more merch here, but I'd love to get some feedback to see what you guys are looking for. So keep that in mind. Send me an email, text me, just let me know what you're thinking of, and uh, and I'll start getting some stuff made up. In this episode, I am joined by a man that has made his mark in just about every facet of the game. Our guest on this episode is Andy Walker. Currently, he is the head coach of the defending NCAA Division II national champions, Lynn University's fighting nights here in Boca Raton, Florida. This is not the first national championship on Coach Walker's resume. He led South Mountain Community College to -to back-to-back national junior college national championships in 2015 and 2016. And even that was not his first national championship. He was part of the 1997 Pepperdine team that won the national championship in just their third appearance. Andy turned pro, spent over a decade playing professionally all over the world, winning nearly 30 tournaments. So he's won as a coach. He's won as a player. He's also worked with players of all skill levels when he opened his own instructional studio in Arizona. He also did some work for ESPN in the media space. And he was on the 16th edition of the Big Break on Golf Channel. At the time of this recording, I don't believe he's built his own golf course or come up with some new development in in the equipment space, but Who knows? That might happen as well. 
as you can guess, our conversation jumped around because we had a lot to cover. We could have gone another hour or two, but I figured, hey, we'll get him on in the future. There's just way too many good stories that he has to share. So let's get started with this episode. Andy, welcome to the back of the range, sir. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm letting the listeners know when we record these things. So it's a Sunday afternoon, March 29th, and we are in the throes of uh, basically golf and golf being shut down and just a lot of things being shut down due to the coronavirus. Everyone's handling it the best way they can. Um, you are on a break from your full-time job right now. Um, you know, the the season was cut short for your uh, Lynn Knights, the Division II uh, defending national champions. So how are you holding up, Coach? What are you doing? Oh, my goodness. Trying to trying to stay sane here, to be honest. You know what? I, I picked up some new hobbies, and i uh, really trying to do those. I'm, I, I found a new passion for cooking, so I kind of look forward to my meals every day and, and trying to do some of that. Um, just catching up with a lot of friends, doing a lot of reading. Uh, I love to read about things having to do with, with the mental aspect of, of life, but, but I always, you know, kind of correlate to golf. So doing some reading and, and, um, and then trying to kind of relearn Spanish a little bit as well. So, um, you know, just trying to really be productive during this time. Well, you have to, uh, kind of bone up on your Spanish cause you, uh, you have kind of an international squad every year at Lynn. So that's not a bad idea. You mentioned reading, um, uh, maybe mental clarity and mental, you know, improvement, uh, books, uh, give me one that I should uh, pick up and read. Give me one that a, that listener should pick up and read. Right now, I'm reading the uh, Fluid Motion Factor by uh, Dr. Stephen Yellen. Okay, and it, it really goes into uh, the prefrontal cortex and and signals and and why people perform at certain levels um, at certain times, and why you have the people that are like Tiger that seem to use more of their mental capacity than others, and um, and so it's it's pretty interesting. Okay, cool. No, I'll put that in the links to the show notes. I know that that's something that Rory's doing right now. He kind of has a, I guess, a sort of a book club going right now. And um, yeah, I think I think everyone can kind of take a step back from, you know, banging balls and they can just do some reading and improve their mind. Um, another thing people like to do during this downtime, from what I hear, is just binge watch Netflix and, and watch reruns of old golf tournaments. And I know that the USGA has... This is a dangerous thing that I found, but the USGA on, I think, Apple TV and Hulu and I think one other one, they have, like, old Walker Cups and old U.S. Opens, and I just was like, oh, no, 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 I can't go down that rabbit hole because that'll just completely t- uh, clean out all the time in my day. But one thing that Golf Channel's doing is they are replaying some big break episodes, and, you know, you were on the sixth – I can't believe there were 16 editions or more than 16 editions of the big break, but you were on the 16th edition of Big Break Ireland at the K Club back – gosh, back in 2011. Um, I know you bounced out of that maybe a, a, the second to last episode, but, you know, most listeners that, that remember the big break watched it and saw the kind of the produced final version that they would see on Golf Channel – when did you get approached for the first time or when did it become a reality that you were actually going to be on the big break? You know, I got approached a couple times when I was still um, playing, but I, I figured it, it, it wasn't going to do much for me at that time. Um, you know, I'd already had status um, out on the, on the web.com at that time. And so I just, I really didn't take the show that serious to be honest. And then when I got done playing and I'll open up an Academy in Phoenix and starting to teach, 
I thought it'd be really good, you know, publicity to, uh, to go on there. So yeah. they had a couple of, of casts and, and I, and I knew some of the people that worked at the golf channel and, and we talked and auditioned and I was playing a round of golf, um, with, with a team I was coaching at the time. And someone called me and said, Hey, don't tell anybody, but you're about to be on the big break. And so there we go. Now, tell me a little bit about what they kind of are looking for, because I'm guessing that it has something to do with your playing ability, but you need to have personality. You need to have a little bit of a story behind you. What do you think was it that drew them to you, so to speak? Because not to say anything about your playing career and your status, but you know you know as well as I do that there's you know former Division One champions and All-Americans and uh, mini tour legends and web doc, you know, that's, that they have plenty, there's plenty of those all around. So what do you think drew them to you? I think a, a couple of things. I think one, just like you said, personality. Um, I'm, I'm pretty outgoing. So they knew they were going to get someone who was, uh, who wasn't going to be afraid to, to speak their mind on the show. Um, two, it, it didn't hurt that I can play a little bit. And, um, and our show was, was really competitive. We actually had probably one of the stronger shows, I think with the mix of, of guys and girls, um, there was at least probably five or six of us that had played on the, you know, PGA, LPGA, European Tour, Web.com. So there was, you know, it was a pretty stacked field. Um, opinionated, you know, I've never been afraid to uh, to give my opinion regarding uh, golf or, or many other, uh, you know, avenues. Um, and so, and I think they, they look for comfort in in front of the camera. And how do you interview? Because there's a lot of interviewing going on and and a lot of off. Um, not golf related stuff that, that they have to do to be able to produce a show and make it successful. So I think when they, they, they look for the whole package, that's probably what they, you know, what they were looking for. And I think I've seen other things about that where you're basically just sitting around waning all day and, and then it's possible that you literally just sit around and then you have one shot to hit. Can you maybe, or, yeah. can you maybe describe like one of the more unique days where you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this just for like, one shot when one shot I could go, you know, you know, it doesn't really resemble golf, so to speak, but I mean, I guess it does. So can you maybe walk me through like one of the days of, of shooting? It, it definitely. So I know, especially early on with, when there was a lot of contestants, I mean, you were up at four o'clock in the morning. Um, you were, you had to be mic'd and ready for camera by five to start shooting the breakfast scene, probably around five thirty six. Um, then you get out to the range and now they're setting up other cameras over there. You may get to warm up for like 10 or 15 minutes at a couple balls. And so by this time, it may be 6.30, 7 o'clock, and you may not hit a golf shot until 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You may not hit a golf shot for three, four hours, and all of a sudden, you know, there's a, a, a big break wall in front of you or something, and, and it's like, all right, go hit this off of a downhill, tight, wet lie over this wall right now, and, and I'm sitting over the shot thinking, if I bone this right into the into the wall, everyone that I've ever worked with and played with is going to clown me for the rest of my life. So it's, it's crazy. Just like you said, it's not like playing golf. When you're playing golf, you work your way into a rhythm. Um, when the cameras are on, when you're playing on tour, you're already playing well, but if you miss the green, it's no big deal. You just go get it up and down here. It's like you miss the green or you miss that golf shot. You're taking that long walk with your back to the camera home. So, um, and so you think about all those things and it's really like a, um, there's so much pressure on it. People don't realize that, you know, it's, it's not just easy. And everyone says to go, well, I can hit that shot at home. And it's like, yeah, could you, um, but you haven't picked up a club in, in, you know, four or five hours. It's about 
35 or 40 degrees top because we're in Ireland. Yeah, and you got to hit this golf shot, you know, and you got to hit this shot right now, knowing that, you know, 10 million people are watching. So, so basically just like good luck. Uh, did you, did you find a camaraderie with the other contestants? Was it kind of like we're all in this together? And then did that slowly morph into, all right, there's, you know, a couple exemptions and some cash on the line here. Do you, did you see maybe the theme of it change? Almost like a, you know, maybe like a Q school situation where, you know, during the practice rounds, everyone's kind of loose. And then once it starts getting real, everyone kind of clams up. Yeah, it did. And you know what? In, in the golf channel, kudos to them. They know how to make a good reality show. <laughs> they know what questions to ask. And they know what situations to put you in to bring that drama out. And so the the first night, one of the things, I was the oldest player on there. I'd already kind of gone through my playing career when I got on there. Everyone else was younger and, and really trying to start their playing career. Okay. So when, when we spoke the first night and everyone introduced themselves and you had the people from the Golf Channel and some people from the RNA and the K Club there, you know, I just told everyone, I said, everyone, enjoy this experience because the cameras will make you do some different things if, cause they're going to persuade us to do some different things and everyone kind of got it. And then you can see by show two, you know, something gets set out of context. Someone acts a certain way. There's a celebration that shouldn't have, that was a little too hard. And then now feelings start to get hurt. And then, you know, then they know how to ask you questions. Cause you know, you could have say, say Ben, you hit, you know, 15 good golf shots and you missed a putt on, on one hole. That's the, that's the shot they're going to ask me about. So tell me about the one hole and then go, oh, Ben missed the putt. That's what they're showing on TV and right. that's what they're going to tell the other people you said. And so you could have been, I could have been praising you for an hour about how great of a player you are, but you hit one bad shot. Well, they're going to harp on that and then they're going to go tell that person that you said that. And now here we go. Now we got drama and friction and now Ben's like, forget Andy. I think I, you know, so here we go. And, and the drama starts and, and it changes and it changed pretty quick. It really started changing like show two or three. Interesting. So it's ba- so it's basically prepackaged TV reality show drama that they're just you know the golf is is there too, but they really want to get viewers to side with one guy over the other or one gal over the other. They want you know someone to think that oh, guy's a tool and she's an idiot and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> I've got so many questions about this because it's <laughs> like I mean you're trying to win this thing, but then you're just caught as especially being the oldest guy there that you're kind of like. I'm guessing you're the the voice of reason to have the maturity level, and then you're seeing all these young kids just getting all worked up over this bullshit drama. I mean, looking back on it, you're glad you did it, I'm assuming, but was it – I mean, what are your thoughts looking back on it? Well, my thoughts is I'm glad that we know we can cuss on this podcast now, so that's great. Oh, oh, Um, shit, I'm sorry. I didn't tell you that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I, believe it or not, the FCC does not monitor what I do. I don't know why, but I've I've, – yeah. Oh, no, we're cool. Go ahead. No, there was episode like three or four or something. Um, one of the guys had gotten sick on the show. And everyone was on his team and everyone on our team were, were making fun of him because we didn't know how sick he was. He was throwing up and he ended up having appendicitis, but we didn't know that. So right. people were, were saying different things. And everyone on my team was saying stuff about their team. Everyone on their team were even kind of ragging on him. Well, they really wanted to focus on something I said. And, you know, one time, I mean, he was, he was getting sick and I hit a two iron to like four feet on this par five. And, um, and I said, I, I'd be feeling sick too. If I just saw someone throw a two iron in there at about four or five feet. Oh man. Well, oh my goodness. They went like, you know, so, so now all of a sudden, instead of saying stuff to the other guys on the team who were really ragging on him, like they know he's, he's, he's whack and he's scared and all those different things. 
they forgot that, and these guys want to kind of attack me. So the next morning they come out, we find out that the guy's sick. And, uh, and so one of the guys comes up to me and he says, Hey, do you want to change anything you said yesterday? Well, this guy was the main one that was talking, you know, crap about his own guy and his team. So he tries to kind of front on me a little bit. Well, cameras on or off. I didn't really care. I just, you know, now, now it's going to get heated. Cause I told him, I was like, first of all, young man, you don't come up to me and talk to me crazy. And second, I ain't going to retract anything. I said, I said what I said and I meant it. And so, now here, now here goes some of the beef with him and his little buddy, and they want to act hard because they know they have the camera behind them. Sure. And, um, and they weren't going to do anything. If we, if we cut that camera off, they wouldn't have said anything. So, um, so now, you know, the, and the, here we go. Now we got the beef. And so then I was just like, hey, guys, um, it, you know, it is what it is. You guys are going to talk whatever stuff you guys want to talk. Um, I knew that there was going to be no changing people's opinions because once it got heated, and you got to think as well, you're up almost 20 hours a day. Yeah. And at, and at night, you know, Jameson was one of the, was one of the sponsors oh, yeah. of the, so oh, no. Oh, no. They're, okay. feed, they're feeding you plenty of that. No right. Shit. So, oh, that's great. So they're just keeping you liquored up and like, here, drink this. See how you feel after that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning and it may be, you may be the last one to do the, the interviews at night, one o'clock in the morning you know, three sheets to the wind. And now they're starting to ask you some questions. And so, you know, that liquid courage and that liquid truth starts to come out and here we go. So now everyone starts talking noise and, and, it, and it's great because, you know, they're in the middle, like shows four or five, six, you know, I mean, it, it, it was, it was pretty heated between everyone and it got fun because I can thrive in that. It's like, you're not going to talk noise to me, especially if you can't back it up. Right. So it's like, let's go tee it. So I just started telling people, Hey, let's go peg it. Whatever you want to do, let's go peg it on camera for as much money as you want to play for. And, you know, or, or, or shut up. And so nice. it got, uh, yeah. This sounds pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. This sounds a lot like professional wrestling. So if you were a professional wrestler, who, who's your favorite professional wrestler of all time? There's no, could, there's I, no I, way you're not a wrestling fan. I couldn't tell you a wrestler from really. I, I have no idea. No, I know like Roddy Roddy Piper and, okay. and Andre the Giant. That's it, and okay. you know Hulk Hulk Hogan. Okay, so. all right. Sounds like you are the perfect heel, the perfect villain from like a wrestling show right now. That's what it sounds like <laughs> with a little golf thrown in and some Jameson. Yeah, Jameson and televised interviews. That just sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. So 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 that was big break. Um, we're gonna get into a lot of things. I we were just talking before. We we were recording this episode that you have done just about everything I can think of in the game of golf and you have parallels with every type of guest that's ever been on this podcast. So you have, you know, radio and media experience in the game. You're doing some radio work, um, played collegiately, won a national championship in 97 at Pepperdine, played professionally on numerous tours, numerous victories all over the world, then get into coaching at the junior college level. Now you're D2 at Lynn. Um, what am I missing? We haven't built a golf course yet. What what what's still on the list for you? Before we hit on a couple of these things you've done, um, is, besides learning Spanish, I mean that's at the top. But what what else are you trying to uh, do in the game of golf? I don't know. You know, I, I taught for a while. Like I said, I had an academy as oh, that's well. That's right. Forgot um, that shit. That's my fault. I had a uh, you know did a lot of stuff. Ran some golf tournaments with a foundation that that Seth Joyner and I have. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, you know, I don't know, I've done a lot. All you're saying right now is how old I am. 
I didn't so, I, see. I um, didn't. I wasn't going to throw that in there. I mean, did you want me to mention that we're coming up on the 25th anniversary of your national championship at Pepperdine, or do you want me to leave that out of this? Yeah, and we still got a couple of years. Simmer down. Okay, I'm sorry. That's my fault. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll I'll let that go. Um, yeah. So yeah, you did the, the foundations and um, you know running tournaments and and obviously your coaching. So let's just kind of take these off the list and just go one by one here. I have to talk about the national championship of Pepperdine. This is just an incredible, an incredible story, which is so funny because you get into college coaching and you know how important it is for solid coaching. And Pepperdine wins their national championship, the 100th NCAA national championship at Conway Farms in Chicago. And you do it without your head coach ever going to the property whatsoever. Oh man, this one, you're trying to get me in trouble with that question. So, um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't say you, I didn't say you <laughs> locked him in, in a basement. I'm, I mean, there's a good reason for it. I mean, I, I don't know. Is there no, but walk me through. I love this story. It is such a good story. So we, uh, we get to Chicago and, uh, we're going to go play Medina before the tournament. And so we go out there and obviously this shows that I'm, I'm from Phoenix. So I don't know much about hockey. We're out there playing with Stan Makita. I have no idea who that is. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> I know. I know. So anyways, we, we're, he's, uh, we're, we're heading up to the golf course and, um, and, and coach Guyberger tells us that he's not feeling well and he's going to go to the doctor just to kind of get checked out just so he is fine for the tournament. So we go out and we play. When we get back, we have a message saying that Coach Guyberger isn't going to pick you up, and you guys are taking you know these cabs back to the hotel. So we're like, okay, what's going on with that? Then we find out that he has chicken pox and he's quarantined to his room for like seven or ten days or whatever. So um, <laughs> just happened that yeah, just happened that a, a former player, a guy that was on the team the year before, was playing like a Hooters tour event somewhere pretty near, named Kevin Marsh. Um, so. Mushy comes and, and starts coaching us, and we have an assistant AD that's there as well that comes in as like an assistant coach. And you know what? I probably learned a lot from that situation that has helped me through my coaching career about um, when to let players just play. Yeah. And when you need to come in and, um, and, and, and have a little, you know, one-on-one or, or spend some time. And so I think it that probably – early on started to mold who I am as a coach now. Yeah. There were, yeah. There was just a lot of things that happened there. I mean, you have, you have Jason Gore and Michael Walton as your senior leaders, you know, Walton lost a, a really good friend of his, uh, I guess about a month or so prior to the national championship. And then, you know, obviously Jason Gore went on to compete on the PGA tour and compete in, uh, I believe it was that, what was that, that 05 U.S. Open at Pinehurst, I believe, I think is the one that he took that lead into the final round. So, I mean, you had some sticks on that team. You were a junior that year, and you actually almost didn't even make it to the national championship. You barely got out of regionals. And I guess, was it that much of a shock that you were able to pull that off, or did it just kind of bring you guys together? I mean, I know it's it's a while ago, but I – I'm thinking this has to be such a tremendous highlight of your golfing career. It's definitely still uh, one of the major highlights of my golfing career. So how that all went down was that year we were, we were really good. I mean, we had three guys that had won individually, myself, Jason and Michael had both won in all of one individually that year. Um, we were playing with the top teams in the country every single week. And 
and beaten them a lot of the time, but we were getting zero love from the rankings and the polls and everything. And it was like, you had to be at, you know, ASU or Stanford, Oklahoma to get ranked high. And, and we weren't. So I think we probably played with a little chip on our shoulder, but the main thing was uh, the year before at the honors course when Tiger, you know, won by 50 shots shooting 80 the last day. Um, it was, we were there and we were, we were probably stronger as a team that year but we didn't have the team chemistry we had in, in 97. Right. And so when we were there, it was no more like the honors course. We were just happy to be there and experience being there. And then 97 was like, okay, guys, we've already been here. Most of us, um, let's go in there and let's take care of business. And so it was just a week where, you know, I don't feel like we careered it at all. I mean, uh, you know, Jason had a good chance to win. I think three of us finished like top 15, um, in the tournament, Michael had a good tournament. You know, I played really well the last three rounds. I didn't play well the first day. Um, and, and so, you know, we just kind of took care of our business, but it, it's almost like we knew and little things all week were helping to settle us and to, to just kind of point us in the right direction. So, I mean, did I know we were going to go there and win? Were we the favorites? Probably not. Of course not. But, I wasn't surprised when we did because we were the best team there. When I look at pictures of you guys in 97, um, obviously you're head coach of a D1 team uh, at, at Lynn University in Boca Raton, and golf fashion has changed quite a bit since then. And I'm looking at these pictures, and this is mid to late 90s, and you're, you, you know, Pepperdine is rocking the big, massive Freddie Couple Ashworth heavy cotton, <laughs> you know, poncho sleeved shirts. That are just for for people in. I mean, I'm I'm in my early to mid 40s. I'm guessing you're right around there too. And for yeah. for those of us that played golf in the 90s, that looked at Freddie and you know Lee Trevino and and just that the fashion of just the big massive shirts. And now you look at what the guys wear now. I mean, how <laughs> looking back at it, you're, I mean, how brutal was that crap to play in? especially in those those summer months where you're carrying your bag and it's just hot and terrible. Why, why did we wear that stuff? Because that was available. We didn't know any better. Right. I mean, you should look what we wore the day we won. That was the only day we actually wore that shirt all year because we had to get extra shirts for nationals. So that was one that we decided was going to be our last day shirt. Um, but that's what we wore. We did. We wore Ashworth stuff that year, um, and it was heavy. And, but, you know, now it's so funny because if you look at, we were, we were, you know, pretty big guys. So we were all wearing probably XLs and double XLs. Right. Uh, maybe, maybe Paul was wearing like a medium or something like that. He was the only one that worked out and I was in shape. But um, now the guys on my team, I have problems ordering uniforms because they don't have that many smalls in stock in most places. And so, you know, we're in Adidas school and, and, and we have great stuff. But our guys try and order the absolute smallest stuff possible. Oh, so they can and get their so, so they can get their muscles showing off. I see. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, I don't know if it's muscles or whatever they have in there, but they're you know they they like wearing stuff that are those extra schmedium. Schmedium. And there um, and so they uh, you know it, it's so it's so different the stuff that that they like to wear. If they if I pulled out one of my old Ashwear shirts and those heavy cotton afterwards pants that we wore that day oh yeah i think the, the, the team would quit they wouldn't play <laughs> i uh, i love seeing when uh when college uh, coaches post like the new like you just i think you mentioned earlier you're ordering stuff for your team and 
they post all the stuff that these big schools get. Actually, just any school get at this point. You know, they get their mm-hmm. multiple hats and shirts and and gloves and all this stuff. And and I'm guessing just you have to just shake your head like, man, you guys don't even know how good you have it. A couple of years ago, when I was back in Phoenix, Pepperdine was playing ASU tournament, and I went out there and, and watched the guys and just supported them and was walking around with the coach. And afterwards, one of the guys says, Coach, how far is it to the airport? And I said, oh, it's not, you know, you got about, about 15, 20 minutes and, um, to, to get there. And, and he said, no, I think it's about 40, 45 minutes. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm from Phoenix. We're in Tempe. The airport is just right there. It's like, you know, 10, 15. And he said, oh, we're flying out of Scottsdale Air Park. And I'm like, so they're flying private now. And I'm like, you yeah. guys better be thanking me for that flying private stuff, guys. I was like, we did not fly private. We would have drove to Phoenix if we were playing there. That's, so, yeah, yeah, that's every time I see that, I'm like, that that must be nice. Now, you, you just mentioned the coach. I'm assuming you're talking, talking about Coach Michael Beard. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you had to do this. You had to deal with this same issue that he did where – you know, a lot of parallels. I mean, you're D2, defending national champion. You're The last time I saw you was actually at Fort Lauderdale Country Club when your team won the individual title at, uh, at Loyola's uh, tournament, the uh, Fort Lauderdale Intercollegiate. So you're obviously trending in the right direction for a national championship. Pepperdine absolutely killing it this year with uh, Sahith Gala and, and Verzich and, uh, and William Mao, who just got named to Palmer Cup. And, I mean, just they're trending there, too. What do you say to your team? I mean, obviously, it's no surprise. Everyone's on social media. But, you know, your heart's got to go out not only for your guys, but also for uh, you know for your alma mater who seem to be on that same path to a national championship. It's, it, I'm, you're 100% correct. I mean, it's, I, I feel bad for the guys because I know what winning a national title for the guys at Pepperine can do for their career. Yeah. You know, I know what it did for mine, and I know it's, it's a memory – that, you know, once you're a national champion, you're always a national champion. Um, for our guys at, at Lynn, it's a little different because I think we're, we're trying to go more for history, right? And, and right. this is for the third, it's go for the third one in a row. And, and some of the guys that are, that are on the team, you know, could possibly even do four in a row if we pulled it out this year. Um, we were playing well. And I, and I tell you what, we, Starting after the first day at Lone Palm at Florida Southern's tournament, we didn't play well the first round, and we played really well after a little heart-to-heart coming to Jesus with the guys. And um, and then we played really well again at Kiowa, um, at Kiowa Island, and won there on a very difficult golf course. And so the Fort Lauderdale event we were talking about, we just saw you, was good because it was a chance for us to, to play against a whole D1 field. And and really just go in and implement what we've been doing as a team. And when I saw the guys walk around with the level of confidence, but them all executing the game plan the way they did, uh, I saw it start at, at Lone Palm. I saw them do it at Kiowa, and I saw them do it again at Fort, uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and, and the guys shoot 30 under, and I think we won by, I don't know, was it 14 or 16 shots or something? Um, the way they did it, you know, I was looking at my at my uh, assistant. We were talking, and I said, "Hey, you know what? The guys are going to be okay." And this is the way I want to see them play. And they're doing it a little earlier this year than last year, which was good. And you know, I was just really ready for these guys to kind of keep implementing, keep getting better, and running the table. So it it hurts, you know, because everyone obviously is going to say that this could have been the year um, for their team. And, and this was the time that their team was turning it around. I know what we were doing and how good we were and how good we were playing. So, 
Um, it's one that we still talk about a little bit as a team because we have, we still figure like we have some unfinished business. So next year, even though we're going to lose a couple of guys, we're gaining a couple of really good players as well. Um, you know, we're, we're going to have a little bit of chip on our shoulder next year, which, which is, I like our guys to have. Yeah. And, and obviously it goes with that saying golf is not the most important thing in the world right now. There are many things that are more important, but still, yeah, you, you work hard to try and put yourself in a situation to, I mean, this is, this is why you put the work in so you can compete it for a national championship. And when you can't do it, it just leaves that kind of an empty feeling. So no doubt there. Um, I, I wanted to, before I want to ask you a little bit, you know, you were the head coach. I think your first coaching gig was South mountain community college out in Phoenix had, trem- right. had tremendous success out there, you know, back to back national championships, you know, plenty of all Americans and, and coach of the year awards and, and just tremendous accomplishments there. But, you know, I have a lot of parents that listen to the podcast of a lot of college players. And I think this is the first time, uh, Believe it or not, we've spoken about golf at the junior college level. Now there's D1 and D2 and D3, and there's all all that. Um, but talk to me a little bit about maybe what kind of players you got at a junior college and maybe why they were going to a junior college instead of going to a Division II school or why they weren't, you know, why would they go to, uh, you know, South Mountain and not be at Arizona State or not uh, be at Arizona or something like that? Can you maybe explain maybe just the difference between the levels? To, to start off with that, that it's such a complex act, uh, answer because I get asked it all the time, how would you get this player there? Why did you get that player? Some of the guys I think were really were D1 talents, but they either got overlooked uh, maybe they didn't have the summer, you know, the year before their junior year that they, that they had been having, and so they fell off some radars. Uh, people don't realize there's so many good players, and you know, say for ASU, ASU may be only looking for one player this year, right? But there may be five or six players that could play for ASU in Arizona, okay. and and so and you know, and they know that they're going to be playing there. So a lot of times it's like, hey, I can get them groomed to go play at ASU other than, you know, than, than them just sitting on the bench or not playing for a couple of years. Or, you know, I really tried to make sure that I picked the right players for our program and I'm the right coach for that player. And I always make sure that that is going to be something that, that when, I, when I'm doing my recruiting, it's got to kind of go hand in hand. It's not just you're a really good player and I'm going to get you because you're a really good player. Because I know how I want our culture to be. I know how our work ethic, our ethics going to be. And I know the things I like to see in a player and I'd like to see a player that can actually grow and, and who's coachable and has some morals and has a good relationship with their parents and friends and, and other guys in the team are going to like. And, you know, so there's so much that goes into it, but on the levels, um, you know, when I was at South Mountain, I mean, we won some NCAA D2 events with NCAA D1 teams in it. I mean, we won an event that ASU played in, you know? And so it was, the, the that, level that, that had to be really, awesome. That had to be awesome. Are you kidding me? You know I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that walking walking with ASU's coach down the uh, you know down the down the 18th uh, fairway, knowing that that we had it won, and telling them, hey, if you have some guys that uh, you know, <laughs> that maybe that I'll send your way if, if you know if they're not ready to play for us, that kind of wow. stuff, and rub it in. Oh my god. But but you know, but it was you know it, it's fun because. It's not that I have a system, but I think everyone kind of has their own system. 
And ours is just to make sure that we're walking around with confidence and executing our game plan. It's not to see if you hit a draw or a fade or if you're hitting it low or high. And, and that, you know, I don't think that's the, uh, that's the criteria for playing good college golf. But to go back, some guys, like I said, get overlooked. They're, they're not on the radar. Um, some players, maybe grades was the reason why they didn't get into a certain school. Um, some players just don't understand the whole recruiting process. Um, some players know they need another year or two before they can really move up to that next level and play big, big college golf. Um, I've always had a lot of international players on, on all the teams that I've coached. Um, they come here and they, and they, they think a little bit different about the opportunities they have here. And, um, and, and the schooling overseas sometimes doesn't allow them or prepare them to get through the NCAA clearinghouse and, and get through the SATs and all that. So they have to graduate from a, a junior college before they can move on. Okay. And, uh, you know, a, a great player example that just, you know, kind of fell in my lap through that was, was Leon D'Souza, who's playing at USC this year. And, you know, Leon almost won uh, USC uh, Pepperdine's event that Sahith actually won, the one where he had the, uh, the, the Kobe, Kobe jersey, jersey on, yeah. right? Yep. So Leon was playing with him in that last round. I think he finished second or third in the event. And, you know, Leon played for me. He won the national championship twice as an individual. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he had already finished like top 20 in the, in the, the, the UBS Hong Kong Open playing with Sergio and Justin Rose and all these guys, but couldn't get into a D1 school because he lacked like a certain English class that he needed to take. And the kid's a 4.0 student, so it wasn't like he wasn't smart enough, but he wasn't cleared. I grabbed him and, you know, he came and did his thing, ran the tables for a couple of years. And then, you know, now he's at, at USC playing great and having a, and a great career there. So, you know, there's, there's so many reasons why they go into those. Um, you know, some of the guys on our team, I mean, yeah. I don't feel like I have a, a team full of D2 players. I feel like I got a team full of top D1 players, but either someone didn't see something in them. Um, I, I don't know what it is. And so I know when I'm recruiting, I have a pretty good feel for players and their games and the kind of people they are. And, um, and so, you know, I go with my gut and then we, and then we grind from there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you shed some light on that because I think, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of junior players down here in South Florida, uh, you know, even a couple parents, I've had parents email me and, and they love these episodes. They love, I think that's one of the most, I mean, mid-ams are, are very highly requested and co college coaches are very highly requested on this podcast because, you know, parents come into it not really sure, like, oh, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to advise my kids. Should they play in every single tournament? And do I, do I have to get them into AJGA? And what if they don't play for a D1 school? What's out there? And, and, and scholarships and all that stuff. So, so you're saying that, that it's not a bad idea, especially if maybe it's a um, – Especially, I would I would guess probably younger kids. Like if they're graduating, maybe a year younger than most out of high school, where emotionally and, and maturity level is not there quite yet for a big, massive school. Go look at a junior college golf program. Definitely, and, and you know one thing it'll teach them is it'll get them. My, I'm a firm believer that that winning breeds winning, and so if you go to a JUCO level and you get used to winning college tournaments, when you step up to the next event, it isn't the the shock factor when you step on the first tee. You go there because the ball's the same size, the hole's the same size. And so now whatever name is on your bag is a little bit different now. But, I mean, you saw what that meant at Fort Lauderdale Country Club. It doesn't mean anything, right? You got to, yeah. at the end of the day, you got to peg it, you got to play, and you got to play well. And so, 
Um, yeah, I mean, just like you said, there, there's so many options, so many good players. Some guys need to learn how to win. Some guys need to just learn how to, um, you know, move around golf course a little bit different. And so, you know, there, there's characteristics I like seeing in players. And, um, and so I don't, you know, I don't, you know, stray too far from, uh, from what I like. You mentioned something before, um, you know, before the Lynn team uh, won the Fort Lauderdale Intercollegiate. You said, I think it was uh, around the Kiowa time, you had uh, a come-to-Jesus meeting with your team. And I didn't want to skip over that, and I don't necessarily need the ultra-specifics as far as names and players on your team, but the reason I want to talk about this is, you know, maybe in other college sports or professional sports, you know, I'm thinking of like a football team, you know, the coach yells and hollers and you guys got to be tougher and you got to hit harder and you got to run faster. I'm wondering if you could maybe shed a little bit of light, you know, take us inside as to what was around a come to Jesus meeting for your team that really sparked this, this run of good play. What were they doing that you needed that you felt had to be stopped immediately because it was a detriment to the success of the team? Perfect. So it's a great question and I have no, you know, uh, problem at all kind of digging deep into what it was. Um, we had played really, really well um, in qualifying. Matter of fact, our top five guys at Seagate, which is a good, tough golf course. Yeah, it is. Um, we shot like 35 under or something like that in qualifying, just the top five guys that qualified for the tournament. So um, I had everyone qualify for the first event. Nobody was exempt. And so our top five were playing great. And it happened to be our top five that won the national championship the year before. So um, we were playing well. Um, I was excited. Even some of the guys that didn't qualify had played really, really well. So we go to Florida Southern's event at Lone Palm, and we have a great practice round. Guys, again, are still hitting it well. Um, they're taking good notes. The, the, the vibe of the team was really good, um, and we had a good team meeting. But I was a little worried because we were hitting it so well and putting so well that I was like, I hope we don't put our guard down tomorrow and not play real disciplined golf and that's exactly what happened we started out and my number one player um i think he made eight on his first hole with no penalties and a par five that he was in a greenside bunker and two on um another guy starts out three putt three putt another guy hits one in a hazard they shouldn't have been in next thing you know is we shot like 12 or 13 over par in the morning and we're in like sixth or seventh place right so now, you know, I'm not the kind of coach that's going to be on the golf course yelling at you. And I'm just like, guys, settle down. Let's get to our game plan. And But at this point, everyone, the wheels were, were gone. They're coming off. Yeah. And it was, they were coming off. And, and I could see, and I'm trying to roll with one guy, keeping him, you know, playing well. And he was playing pretty good. And he made one mistake that was an execution mistake. And then it turned into two mental mistakes. The next thing you know is everybody's kind of doing the same thing. So I'm trying to put this little fire out. As soon as I leave there, there's another fire going. And so we played awful the first day. I mean, as bad as I've ever seen us play. And so the guys, you know, I wasn't happy with that. Uh, but I didn't say anything. You know, it was one of the guys' birthdays. We went and had some dinner. And we went back and we have our, our nightly team meeting. And instead of me saying anything, I said, guys, you guys know I'm not happy about what happened today and how you guys executed, how your attitudes were and everything. So I said, I'm just going to shut up, and I'm going to let you guys run the meeting. Nice. And I said, you know, the, the captains, if you guys want to talk, you guys can talk. If anyone else wants to talk, I was like, I'm not going to say anything. And so they did. They started talking, and, and the things came out about we got away from the game plan here, and I tried to be too aggressive here, and I hit it in the spot I shouldn't have here, knowing that 
the pin was here and uh, we, we panicked and then all these different things started coming out. And I said, okay, good. I said, now with that being said, guys, do you want to do that same thing tomorrow? Do you want to do that? Or we can just kind of pack it up and we can go home tonight or whatever. What do you guys want to do? You tell me what you want to do. And they said, no. And the thing is, when I say coming to Jesus, I'm not saying that I'm Jesus by no means. Oh, no. But they I know came, what you mean. They came to me and it was a coach. We are ready to listen and learn how to play golf because they had been hitting it well and scoring well, but they weren't particularly playing good tournament golf. And I'm the kind of coach that always in a practice round, someone will hit a drive and they'll stripe it and I won't like to play. And they'll say, but I just striped it. And I said, dude, that's a great practice round play right there. But in a tournament, that's six. Yep. And, and those things came to fruition. So now we're, you know, they're asking questions. Where should I hit it here? What should we do here? Where should we hit it here? And, and then I said, okay, now this is what we're going to do tomorrow since we've agreed that we do want to play well tomorrow. I said, we're probably not going to win this tournament. We're too far out of it, but we can have our own little victory within our team. And so we, uh, we talked about the game plan we were going to execute. And I told the guys, I said, if I see you hit a golf shot, not a bad golf shot, but if I see you hit the wrong golf shot because of a decision, you're not playing the next tournament. It's that simple. You won't even get a chance to qualify. And with that happen, now everybody plays a certain way. And they went out and we played really well. So we moved up to like second or third, I think maybe third place. And um, But inside of that, I didn't even care because I said, okay, we played the right way and we saw what the outcome was. So now we go back to to practice and qualifying. A couple of guys had to go back and qualifying and we're at practice and they're asking the same questions again. Coach, what do we need to do here? What do we need to do here? And from then the whole focus, it became more of self-discovery. They were asking questions instead of me giving them just answers. Yeah. No, and so that was, it was, it was great. Yeah. I'm really glad to really glad you shared that. And, and actually, you know, we didn't hit on the fact that you took this job, you know, you left South mountain after the great success there, and you take this job at Lynn as their head coach, um, you know, Andrew Dana leaves. He wins a national championship. Then he leaves to go to, uh, to LSU. Now he's at Florida Gulf Coast. But you take this job, and you're taking over a program that just won a national championship. You have this great rapport now with the guys, but it has to be kind of a unique situation walking into a team that, you know, just won a national championship. And how did they welcome you in? How were the first few weeks and months of – I mean, I guess them getting to know you, you getting to know them. I mean, it was a very unique situation. And so was the interview process. So I had interviewed at a few D1 schools and had a couple offers to go coach at some D1 uh, schools. And then I, I get introduced to Lynn University and the athletic director, Devin Crosby. Um, unbelievable. Not just a great boss, but a great mentor, a good friend. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm working for him. I feel like I'm working with him. And so it, it's great because during the interview process, he actually had some of the players on the team involved in the interview process, which I had never seen before. Wow, that is unique. And so it was, it kind of told me a little bit about him and, and being kind of people and, and uh, people first and, and, and service first. And so he, um, when he had that, I knew when I got to talk shop and talk golf with the guys that I, I had that part down. And so getting their trust early was part of the, was, was early on was, was big. So when I did get hired and, and accepted the job and, and, um, and it was, I was super excited because I wanted to go somewhere. Obviously South Florida is incredible. 
Um, you know, Boca is, is unbelievable. The golf, the weather, the beach, um, the, the program, I knew it was a great program. And so all I could really do was there's two ways I could look at it. One way was I'm, I can't just go in there and mess this up or I can go in there and make these guys better than they even were before. And that's, I went in with that, with that kind of attitude. And, uh, and so before school started, the guys on the team, I felt were already accepting that I was the coach and they were sending me swing video and we were doing WhatsApp videos and, oh, wow. and talking and, and the guys were really like, they were becoming my friends early before they even met me. So they were asking questions, coach, I have a tournament this week. How should I prepare? Coach, I'm going to send you a swing. Tell me what you think about this. Is there any drill I need to do for this? So we had a good rapport when we got there. And so, um, but when they started and then I, you know, I brought in a couple pieces in the, in the spring that I thought that we needed to be the, the best team possible. And, um, you know, it's been a pretty smooth transition. And so it was, um, you know, and, and it makes it that much harder to get that close to these guys. And then to have this year kind of ripped away from them the way they did, obviously we know that, that the COVID-19 is, is, affecting more than just golf i mean this is this is a, yeah. a, a global pandemic that is you know hopefully that we can get through um relatively unscathed but um but even you know with that being said i appreciated that the guys trusted me from the beginning and i learned to trust them they learned to trust me the more we, we went on in practice and, and obviously had some, some great success yeah no you guys are uh, i know you have a lot of players coming back and before you went to I guess when you're at South Mountain, you were had your academy out in Arizona, out in the Phoenix area. I know you worked with a lot of professionals, a lot of uh, you know junior players. And I guess one thing I wanted to ask about is that's right, that spring training area for baseball, the Cactus League. And I'm guessing you may have had one or two Major League Baseball players roll through in your day that you've worked with. Is that a fair statement? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I had you know, some good friends that were, you know, that played baseball that were out there for spring training. Some that just came in to either work or, or play golf in Phoenix. Um, you know, some, some, obviously some NFL guys and, and, and NBA guys, but, um, yeah, so there, there was a lot of athletes that were kind of roaming that area. And so we, uh, we get a chance to, to get a little bit better at golf. So tell me about maybe some players that you worked with that picked up the game of golf obviously whether they're baseball, football, basketball, whatever. Can you think back to some players that you worked with that really picked it up quickly and that almost surprised you? Um, let's see. Some guys that surprised me. i tell you what. Um, Ozzie Smith was a really good player. You know, there there was moments where, where he would, you know, play really good golf. Um, Jason Kidd, I remember playing with him a few times, and he shot some 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 rounds in the, in the mid to low 70s. Um, there, there's a lot of guys that, that were really good. I would say when I was working with these guys, they, um, they had already been playing for a little bit. Most of them were retired athletes. Um, so, you know, Joe Carter, we spent a lot of time practicing and playing together and working on his game. He's a good player. You know, he's, he's shot some good 67s and 68s on some good golf courses. Uh, it's, it's just amazing that when those guys, get into their mind that they want to do something or excel at something, they have a different gear and they have a different mindset. And it kind of goes back into what we were talking about earlier about reading about the mind and all that. That's the stuff I would tap into and I would ask questions and see their work ethic and see their determination and see their unwillingness to fail. And, and, and so they would learn things and, and it wasn't a, 
they, they were never, they would give you an answer of, I can't do this. They would work on it until they got it. And so, and I, and I, you know, I love to, to use those, those parallels when I'm working with players and I'll tell them a story if they're from a St. Louis or if they're from Toronto or if they're from, you know, a different part of the country, right. um, how hard they work on their games, but the things that they did that I could see why they were so great at their respective sport. Yeah, I would imagine it's got to be challenging when they excel at their own sport and then they're taking on golf where they're not at that level quite yet and they may never get to that level. Obviously, if they're not playing on the PGA Tour, then they're not at the same level that they were at where they were playing Major League Baseball or playing in the NBA. It's got to be a, right. it's got to be a challenging kind of a line they need to kind of straddle there so they can get the most out of their game but then also realize they're not going to get to the same level that they were at professionally. Well, I think what what kind of allows them to to not have that as a boundary is they love the journey, right? They they knew what the journey was to the NFL, to the NBA, to Major League Baseball. So this is their same journey. So they enjoy the journey of getting better. Um, obviously, all of them are, think they're better players than they are at <laughs> golf. And and I have you know I, I there's by no means did I ever tell them that they were tour players or that they were going to play on tour. Most of the time I told them how bad they sucked so they could, you know, work a little harder. But, um, but you know, at the same time, I, I think it was the journey that really encompasses them. There's something else that they can, uh, you know, involve themselves with that's going to take a lot of time, but that they're going to see the fruits of those labor like they did when they were on the, you know, on the basketball court or football field, whatever it was. So it was, you know, it's just fun to kind of be around those guys and and listen to the stories i mean i have some of the greatest stories. ozzy smith used to tell the greatest stories about him playing and and when him and vince coleman were on a team together and and uh you know and seth joiner you know Seth's one of my best friends so we talk a lot and, and he helped me a lot when i was playing um and coaching you know in, in the mental aspect of different things and the work ethic and kind of you know always giving me somebody to, to talk to about certain things and um and really just the mindset of winning. So it was, you know, it's fun working with those players that have excelled. They're Hall of Fame athletes. They won Super Bowls and World Series and, and, and NBA championships. So it's just kind of fun being around those guys. But there's so many good athletes that are actually, you know, really good players and really good golfers. And so it just it doesn't surprise me how quick they get, you know, they get that good. I know this would be a real big stretch for you because it's hard for you to speak your mind and just be completely transparent and honest. But who is <laughs> who is uh, who is your personal ATM? Oh man, my personal ATM. Let's see. I mean, I mean, I'm really painting you into a corner here. Let's see if you come out swinging. I mean, uh, oh, let's see. Uh, who was my uh, personal uh, ATM? I, I don't want to hear anything like you know they they all played really well and we just had <laughs> you know casual games and we all just had a beer afterwards. I mean, come on, who who? You know what? Uh-oh. They none of them were they were great in their sport. They weren't stupid enough to play me for any kind of oh, money. Okay, wow. Okay, all right. There you go. There you go. That was a good. That was a good. That was a good. Uh, uh, you know, deflection, but it's a good one because it was a little swag. So it's fine. That works. That's good. Um, all right, so let's let's we've left this for the end. It just kind of worked this worked out this way. But you played professionally. You played over a decade of professional golf on numerous tours all over the world. Um, Twenty eight professional victories, and and just you know played on the web and played in, in you know all over the world. And when you look back on it and all your experiences, 
I guess, how do you take your experiences as a professional and share it with your collegiate players? Because you want them to chase their dreams just like you did. You want them to play professionally and chase down the tour life. Um, but you you saw it firsthand. I mean, the travel and the cost and just the heartbreak and all the different ups and downs that you went through. How do you take that and still paint it in a positive light for these guys, knowing that they're going to have to endure the same kind of struggles? Because I know if they're playing at this level already, I, you know, I wasn't supposed to play on tour. I wasn't supposed to play at Pepperdine, right? I mean, I grew up playing baseball, football, basketball, uh, soccer, golf, everything that there was. But, you know, th- I always had a dream. And I knew when I was five years old, you know, I wanted to be like Lee Trevino. That was my dude. You know, I used to oh, flip yeah. my hat up when I got done like he did. And, and you know, I just thought that dude was just the swag master. And, um, and how he played and how his personality was. And so, um, I, I know that if these guys, if these guys have a dream, you know, my thing is to help them, you know, achieve this dream. And so it, it's not hard at all because I'm sure you can tell I'm not very passionate about this game. Um, you're, you're warming but, up to it. <laughs> and so it's a, um, you know, it's, it's just fun for me to see the guys hit golf shots that they'd never seen before. It's fun for me to see the guys ask questions and ask them the questions. I know they're going to help them get better. Um, it's also, you know, I, I learn a lot. I, I think I learned to be a better coach this year when we had our, our come to Jesus and, and, and not come out and start telling the guys what they did wrong and, and beating them up over the, over the bad play, you know, to allow them to do things. So there, there's always stuff to learn. We don't know it all. I mean, nobody wins every golf tournament. Tiger tried to for a long time, but, you know, even now it's like, who's the best player on earth? I don't know. Rory's on a nice run right now, but does he win every week? Nah, he hardly wins. He didn't win that much at all. He finishes top five a lot, but, you know, he'll win one or two a year, and that's the best player in the world. So there's always, you know, we can always get better. We're always working to get get a lot better. I think that I'm a, I'm a pretty decent coach because of not only my successes, but my failures. And so I tell the guys all the time when we're meeting and we're talking is I want you guys to be better than I was. I want, I don't want, I know I could have worked a little harder in this area. I know I could have paid a little bit more attention in this area. And so to be great, you got to do things that no one else does. If you want to catch Rory, He's already doing stuff you don't do. He's already better than you. So we have to find some new stuff that not even he's doing on top of the stuff that he's doing to catch him. So, you know, I, I try and really inspire the guys by, look, you know, I had a nice run. I had a nice career. It was, it was fun. Um, but I don't think I honestly don't feel like I achieved all I should have on the golf course. And, you know, I still got some, some game in there and, and, and who knows, maybe it'll be champions tour time that, that it comes out if I decided I want to go back out and grind, but I can put that, that emphasis into the players that I coach, the players that I teach, the players that I mentor into helping them and not, and making sure that every stone is not unturned. And so, you know, I, I tell the guys all the time, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you things and that, that you don't need, that you don't know that you need to know. And I didn't know I need to know it at that, at that age either. So, if I say something, it may not be what you want to hear at the time, but it's going to be what you need to hear. So, what um, if you look back at all the different tours you played? Can you, I mean, maybe not financially, what was the most um, redeeming? But as far as just spending a year out on tour, what was the most fun? Maybe the balance sheet doesn't look as great as in other years, but boy, what a great experience! 
Well, I, I tell you what was was playing uh, the uh, what's it called now? Mackenzie Tour, PJ yeah. Tour Canada. Yeah. Um, I, I spent a couple of summers playing there, and I'd mix and I'd play some some web events, and I'd go up there and I'd play, go back home and play some gateway events or wherever there was. But playing that tour, really getting to play with international fields, um, it was. We, we traveled and, and packed. There was a, a group of us called the UN, you know, because we were all from different places. Oh, that they perfect. called us. It was like, you know, it was a guy named George Bradford and Dong Yi that played at Cal and, and James Han. And, you know, there were so many guys that were a part of that. And, and, you know, there was a group of about eight to 10 of us. And we traveled together and we stayed together and we played together. And we were the top players on that tour as well. So it was just a great, fun experience. So now when we talk about tournaments and we talk about our past experience, we're not talking about what who shot anywhere. Right. You know, we're not talking about who won this tournament. We're talking about the things that we did off of the golf course together. We talk about, you know, missing flights and we talk about hanging out at the beach and we talk about getting Hannah tattoos on the beach in Mazatlan and stuff like that. And just, you know, the things that we did as a group that, that those are the memories that you really think about. And so it's not so much about, you know, I shot 63 in, in Punta Cana, right? It was more of what we did the night after we got done playing and when we were all together and, you know, we had a fun dinner together or something. So, you know, those are the, uh, th- that's kind of the stuff that, that I miss. I've been asked that question a lot. Do you miss playing? And I do miss being out there. Um, I don't miss the grind. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go run and go lift and then go practice. I just don't have that in me anymore. Um, but I, I do miss the camaraderie and the, and the guys and the, and the things that go around it. I've had a lot of guys. It's, it's funny. You mentioned the Canadian tour. I've had a lot of guys on the podcast that have mentioned whether it's Dan McCarthy or Michael Cartrude, um, you know, guys that have played that tour and they're like, it's so much fun up there. And, and just, it seems like every tour stop, I mean, there's galleries. There are people that are generally there happy that you're coming into town, and it's it's a big deal in those towns. It, it is. It's a fun tour to play, and, and it got you, you know, ready to, to play other tours. It got you uh, learning how to be in contention and, and going low and playing in front of crowds and playing four days with a cut and traveling and having to make a flight and go to some place that you've maybe never been to before and, um, and learning new golf courses. So it was, you know, it was great. It was a good experience, and... You know, I, I enjoyed it up there, but like I said, the friendships made up there, I think, make it more than the golf itself. Well, we've covered a, a many facets of your career, and, um, you know, I'm sorry that we're, we're talking under the circumstances where the season is over, but uh, I hope that we can do this again and reconvene once golf gets going again. And uh, it sounds like Lynn's going to be right there for, uh, making another run in national championship next year, so let's, let's do it again soon. Perfect. Thanks for having me, man. I enjoyed it. And there you have it. Special thanks to Andy Walker, men's golf coach at Lynn University in Boca Raton. Don't forget, follow us along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. As I've said many times, every single episode is available at our website, thebackoftherange.com. And if you have any questions or comments, leave those in Apple Podcasts or send me an email, ben at thebackoftherange.com. Have a great week, be healthy, and we'll see you next time here at the back of the range.